It's Wednesday, April 27th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Oh my gosh, we've got earnings from Apple, Chipotle, Twitter, and we're not going to talk about any of those. We'll hit those on Motley Fool Money this weekend. We're not we're not going to be hitting the earnings news today because we've got a very special guest in studio. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Share Advisor, which is our flagship service in Australia, analyst Donnie Buchanan. Welcome, sir. G'day, Chris, and thank you for having me here. Thanks for making the trip. Yeah, it's uh, it's a long flight over, but well worth it to be here at HQ. How long a trip is it? How long is the flight? So, it's I flew in from Sydney. So, Sydney to Dallas was 15 and a half hours, and then um, I just popped from Dallas over to Washington, D.C. But uh, 15 and a half hours is a long time in the same chair. Do you sleep on planes? Do you have that ability? Uh, on and off. I didn't. I wasn't traveling with my daughter this time, so yeah, I got a little bit yeah. of sleep at least. <laughs> That's right. You have a one-year-old. Yeah, I do. I do. She turned one just before I came over, and yeah, it's a lot of fun. And you appreciate sleep all the more now. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, you, you know, I said we weren't going to talk about Apple's earnings, and, and we're not really going to. But um, like I said, we'll hit that on the radio show this weekend. But I am, I am curious. Um, uh, when Matt Joss, your colleague in Australia, was was last year, one of the things we talked about was Domino's, well-known brand when it comes to pizza, and just how dominant a brand it is in Australia. How is Apple regarded in Australia? Is it is it a popular brand? Yeah, absolutely. So there's, uh, it, it's one of the dominant brands in terms of uh, consumer electric. Uh, electrical products. Um, so I'm sitting here with an Apple Mac. I've got an Apple iPhone. Uh, plenty of people I know back home are the same. It's it's a fairly saturated market when it comes to Apple products in Australia, for sure. Is there? I mean, is it dominant to the point where it's unusual if there's someone with a Samsung phone or or anything else, or is it just like no, it's it's the market leader, but there are plenty of people who have preferences for other products. Yeah, look, I don't know the exact split, but it's um, there are people. So uh, one of my colleagues on the lead advisor for Share Advisor, uh, he's been to Apple, didn't like the ecosystem, so he moved back to an Android phone. Um, you know, there's a, a bit of switching. I've moved over to the ecosystem. I love it. I can't see myself ever going back. So I'm I'm sure there are similar conversations that happen throughout the the, the office here and and the country more more broadly. Um, yeah, some people love it. Some people prefer the the other system. So it's just a matter of taste at the end of the day. Let's talk about the market in Australia because we, you and I were chatting earlier in the week. It's on a 25 year run. Do I have that right? Yeah, so we've we're on into our twenty fifth year of uninterrupted economic growth. So the uh, that sounds that sounds terrifying to me. That that is at once amazing, and absolutely terrifying. It's it's a wonderful thing in many ways, but as you say, it's uh, it's put the Australian economy in a in a funny place. Um, so that recession that you guys had a, a few years back, the GFC as we like to refer to it in Australia. Um, we pretty well sailed right through that. The Australian government had a very strong balance sheet going into that, and they, the government at the time, pumped a whole heap of money into the into the economy, and they did it via a quick injection. There are a whole heap of uh, checks that got sent out and money deposited directly into people's bank accounts, and the government said, "Go and spend this, keep the economy going," and that was on top of a number of number of other fiscal spending programs. On top of that, the Australian economy is quite closely tied to China. Uh, we've had a, a wonderful tailwind of China's development over the last decade, decade and a half, and um, they've had an insatiable appetite for our resources. 
China's economy has slowed down significantly. Um, and we're starting to see some impacts of that in Australia, certainly in a lot of the commodity prices. But getting back to the GFC, the Chinese government rained a whole heap of money on their economy during that time as well. And that allowed us to just cruise right on through that period. And the result now is we've got some of the highest consumer debt in the world, some of the highest property prices. Um, There's a lot of capital spending that's come out of the economy because we're no longer building these massive expensive mines um yeah it's it's put us in a funny place so i'm assuming that and we'll get to the investing potential in a moment but i'm assuming that there are people including you and the the whole motley fool team of analysts and advisors who are gaming out different scenarios for the economy and i have to believe one of them is that you have your own recession for the first time in 25 years and and how bad does that potentially look yeah look that's a really interesting question um our news headlines there's a lot of people that are having guesses at how this may manifest itself um there's a lot of talk and an increasing amount of talk about a property bubble and a property price crash crash in Australia. Um, it's really hard. To, these things are notoriously hard to predict. And uh, I can't sit here today and and say I think it will manifest in, in this way. Um, back to the mining. Mining is a very small employer in Australia. It's hugely capital intensive, but it employs less than 5% of our population. I'll even say it's something closer to 3%. Um, so, in terms of the roll-off in the mining, we're not going to see a whole heap of unemployment directly related to that. The other counterbalance that we've got going on is the Australian dollar has fallen significantly. We were above parity with the US dollar for a long time when, when our resources were in great demand. Uh, now we're sort of down around 70, 80 cents. Great time for Americans to come and visit Australia and, we, and we'd love to have you. <laughs> So that's, that's led to a huge influx of tourists to Australia. And uh, it's also, we've got a increasingly wealthy middle class in Asia sitting just above us. Australia is a very clean, green, desirable place for them to come and visit. So we're, we're getting, we're posting record international visitor numbers at the moment, and, and the fast amongst the fastest growth is uh, is out of China. Um, and there's a bunch of investment coming out of there as well. We've just had the largest land aggregation in Australia, Kidman Cattle Company, uh, was bought by a Chinese invest by a Chinese company. And uh, there are a number of other examples like that across the country. So, a low currency, um, the attractiveness of our country as a, a safe, clean place to travel to, um, rule of law and good rule of law and that sort of thing, it's an attractive investment destination. There's a strong counterbalance in the lowering currency. So, it's hard to say exactly how it's going to play out, but there's some interesting dynamics there for sure, Chris. I'm just picturing my friend Joe Mager, who is in deep in his heart a value investor. He is indeed dealing, sort of wringing his hands at the notion of a 25-year bull market, and not that he's looking for an economic crash in his adopted country, but it's got to be tough for investors in Australia to find values, or certainly tougher than it used to be. Yeah, it absolutely is. It's one of, um, as the as an investor on the share advisor service, it's one of our constant battles is is finding good places for our members to put their money. And um, we've done a very good job of it so far, and and we're doing our utmost to to continue that. Um, 
before we get into that, I just there's some stuff about the Australian market that's quite unique and worth highlighting at this point. We've got an extremely concentrated market, and it's hard to fathom how concentrated that is until we put some numbers around it. So our three largest companies make up 20% of the market. Our six largest companies make up a third of the market, and our top 14 companies, so that's just 14 companies, makes up half of the market. There's four dominant banks there, a couple of miners, a telco, a couple of retailers. It's a very, very concentrated market. Our investing philosophy hasn't seen us invest in any of those businesses. In fact, two of those 14 companies are on uh, one of the five services we run in Australia. So it's not a place that we go hunting, is what I'm trying to say. And uh, when we're looking for investments, we're we're searching in a – there's a large number of names outside of that, but it's a much smaller pool of capital. So it's uh, it's an interesting challenge to have. All of our services have done well there. Now, Joe in particular, he runs the Pro Portfolio in Australia, which has done very, very well um, since its inception, uh, beating the market by 45% last time I looked of that order. And uh, Joe's certainly one of the the more bearish people within our team and he's positioned the portfolio to do well so in in the event the the australian economy really slows down so he's done very well so far um and if things do take a turn for the worse you could see that outperformance uh step up another gear i'm just thinking about the notion that four of the 14 companies making up more than half of the market are banks Yes. And I'm just, and I'm sure I'm not the only person. I'm sure there's at least a couple of listeners who are thinking what I'm thinking, which is, you know, if that were the case here in America, with, you know, not not that all banks are bad because yeah. they're not, but um, that would that would make me additionally nervous. How are how are banks regarded by the average investor in Australia? Are they are they more akin to the way a lot of investors in America look at? The banks here in the U.S., or is it more like a, a Jim Gillies looks at the banks in Canada lovingly and thinks, "Well, they, you know, they're 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 very transparent." Whereas here in America, there's a there's a fair, you know, it's it's hard to tell, or certainly harder to tell, um, how a Goldman Sachs or a Citigroup is making money as opposed yeah. to just sort of a large version of a traditional mom and pop bank. Yeah, so. I should be clear, the the four large banks are uh, commercial banks. They don't have investment banking arms to them, certainly nothing material. So they don't have that um, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan type flavour to them. Um, How are they thought of in Australia? They've been fantastic wealth creators for a very long time. So we've had a huge um, boom in, in underlying debt across the economy. And for the people that have owned the banks during that time, they've done extremely well. And a lot of our retiring population, so the baby boomers coming through, a lot of their wealth is tied up in the banks. And um, they basically love those companies for the wealth that they've created for them. It it, it has been fantastic. Um, But this this next stage is interesting, where the Australian consumers sit in it about hundred so highest consumer debt levels in the world about 160 percent of uh, disposable income 
is held in debt and the banks are a, a big part of that they've been offering us um, credit cards and all sorts of things trying to get their hands in our pockets and let us bring forward some of that 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 those purchases that we'd like as, as much as they can and then on top of that the big uh, run-up in property prices that we've had for the last two and a half decades uh, the banks have been very willing to to lend to home loaners um, I don't think that it's quite as uh, the lending has been quite as free as it was in the the US in the lead up to the GFC but there's certainly examples of people getting borrowing 90 95 percent of the money to to put down so yeah there's some uh, interesting things there from an investment perspective people really like the banks they've been strong businesses it's an oligopoly in Australia but I think their time in the sun has, has come to an end and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens over this next period but at the right point in the cycle I'd be happy to own those businesses what is the I don't know if you have a favorite industry or or one that you naturally uh, naturally gravitate towards but where, where do your interests lie as an investor yeah, look, I'm a, a deep value investor by training, and uh, one company that I love is a toll road company, and this will be a little bit controversial for, for some Americans, and, and particularly for the folk that live in Washington, D.C. Uh, there's an Australian company that controls the urban toll road networks, and largely the urban networks in Australia, in the three major cities in Australia, called Transurban. And they operate the hot lanes on the Capital Beltway and the I-95 in around D.C. here. Um, and they're in a fantastic position, um, uh, monopoly-type assets, and for that reason, they're regulated, um, but very safe, stable earnings, and uh, if you can pick up an earning stream like that at a cheap price, and there have been some points um, around the GFC and, and post the GFC where uh, that business traded very cheaply, there, those reliable earning streams at discount prices is something that really appeals to me, where I can have conviction and really go hard in making an investment. So, wait a minute. This is the company that when I'm driving around the Capitol Beltway and see the sign saying, hey, if you go on this road, this HOV lane, you'll pay this much money. We will. What they're saying, Chris, is we will get you there faster. You'll get there when you want to get there, and uh, you're getting back some time in your life. I, the way I explain it to some people is they're essentially in the business of selling the most valuable commodity in the world, and that is time. So if, if you value your time and the wear and tear on your vehicle, um, I think it's a, a very good value proposition. I understand why they're doing well, because for anyone who's driven around the Washington, D.C. area for any length of time, the, the traffic around here is Yeah, pretty, I had a meeting this bad. morning and um, the, the, with a fellow fool, and he was caught in some D.C. traffic. I heard all about it. It doesn't sound like it's much fun. Yeah. Um, before I let you go, you this is your day job, but you also have another job because you've got a farm. Yeah, that's a right. A large farm, as I understand it. Yeah, look, it's not a large farm by Australian Two, standards, but... 200 acres sounds large to me. 200 acres, yeah, okay. That does sound large. My By way of contrast, my parents are on a property that's 50,000 acres. <laughs> okay. Their neighbours, 500,000 acres, so 10 times as big as they are, and uh, neither of those are big properties okay, by Australian so, standards Okay, so you've, you've practically got like a little garden in, in, the, in the back of your house. Exactly, exactly. With some cattle. Yeah, we run about 90 head of beef cattle, and uh, since I've been in D.C., I had the pleasure of spending some time out at Mount Vernon and um, just absorbing some of the, the American history, and I've 
didn't realise how much of a farmer George Washington was and, and an innovative farmer for the time for his time. Um, he had a he got out of tobacco very early, he realised it was damaging the soil there and set up a system where he'd rotate his crops through seven different paddocks. Um, but the most interesting thing that I found out uh, when I was out at Mount Vernon was he uh, raised Red Devon, milking Red Devons, which is, they're a heritage English breed, and it happens to be the same breed of cattle that I run on my property oh. in Australia. So I was uh, I was thrilled at that. That's pretty wild. Yeah. He also, as I understand it, had, um, and you're right, he was he was very innovative when it came to farming and the way, that, and, and meticulous in terms of testing different things and tracking the results and all that. But I, as I understand it, he also um, was smart at hiring because he hired, um, and I'm blanking on the gentleman's name, but he hired a Scotsman to, to um, manage some or maybe even all of his property at, at one point. And this was the guy who got George Washington into the business of making whiskey. Okay. Because okay. he, was, he was saying, well, you know, I see what you're doing with the peach wine, and yeah. that's good, but here's this other thing you might want, and and George Washington did quite nicely in the whiskey business. Yeah, yeah. I um, I come from Scottish heritage. I feel like I should know this gentleman's name as well, but but I don't. And I didn't get to check out the um, the distillery. I can't remember the exact name of the that they have for the mill there, but uh, on my next trip back to HQ, I'm going to go and check that out. Absolutely, it's uh, yeah. It sounds like another great, great uh, thing to see out there. You can read Donnie's writing. You can go to fool.com.au. That's fool.com.au. Check out the Motley Fool's website in Australia. I always have to make sure I get the URL right because the I think the first time I promoted the the website and just mentioned it, I got the uh, the URL wrong. Right, and I've, and I've never heard the end of it from Bruce, oh. <laughs> Bruce Jackson. Well, I'm glad we got it right, and, for this one. and rightly so on his part. Thanks. He for told being me here. to keep an eye on you on that one, Chris. Well, you can tell him job well done. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.